Unfiltered Free Range American Podcast, presented by BlackRifleCoffee.com. Welcome to Free Range American. John Barklow, holy shit. Great to have you back, buddy. Yeah, thanks, Evan. Good to be here in the yeah. studio, finally. As in opposed the studio. to some seedy hotel room where we did it the last time. Oh, that's Vegas. Did we do a podcast there or did we just hang out? No, we did a podcast. Yeah, so you right. don't even remember. No, I remember. I remember it was like 11 exactly. o'clock at night. That wasn't a seedy hotel. That was like the Bellagio. <laughs> I was going to say, I need shares. <laughs> well, you know, my, my standards have changed. That was a, that so. was a suite. It was yeah, a suite. It was a suite. <laughs> yeah. What are you talking There's about? There's more than I, one I didn't know what place. I was walking into at first. I was like, oh, Dude. we'll see where this goes. Yeah. Holy. Well, so you have been designing a lot of shit for the past couple of years since you've been on the show, I think, right? You've been helping product development, a lot of stuff. Yeah. I honestly don't know. We talked a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. maybe three yeah. now. So, and, and honestly, in my world, this product development world, it's so odd um, the way my calendar works. So as an example. Because you live in the future. Yeah. My head's already in fall 23. Right. Like I'm six months into fall 23 development. So. He knows what you're going to hunt in fall 23. Stuff we have coming out right now. Actually stuff that hasn't even launched yet. Right. That, but in the next few months, it's so old hat to me. I've forgotten about it. Right. Like in some regard. It's in the rear view mirror. It's in the rear view mirror. Yeah. Um, 22 is done. 23 is halfway done. So yeah, huh. it's odd. So I always, uh, if you talk to me long enough, I'm sure I'll give up some trade secrets that I'm not supposed to talk Perfect. about. Perfect. Yeah. That's what I want you yeah. to do. Uh, so you, you, so everybody knows John works for Sitka. I do. Um, yep. And w- What's your job title? Because I actually don't know. No, the formal <laughs> what, job do you title do this? is uh, <laughs> big game product manager. So big game refers to yeah. like mountain hunting for, for, you know, easy description, kind of all the technical gear. I, I was explaining this the other day, which I, I would love to hear your definition for people, which is Western hunting. Like what's the difference between West, like was people define it Western hunting and other forms of hunting? Uh, kind of broad brush, Western hunting kind of refers to, um, you know, wide open spaces or mountains mm-hmm. where you're kind of looking for the animal and pursuing it, right? So spot and stalk mm-hmm. is an example. A lot of Eastern hunting is more, you know, ambush type hunting. So you're sitting in a, a funnel, a pinch point, you're waiting for the animal to come to you. Western hunting is you're going into the environment after the animal. So mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, species are different, but right. but as a as a general comment, that would be the difference. So it's very it's much more physical, terrain why? oriented. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So why do they classify that? Do you think between we'll call it Western hunting? Oh, geography or, is I it mean, just be based on geography? Yeah, purely? big big wide open spaces, big mountains. Right. Um, you know, lots of public land out west. Right. Whereas, again, generally speaking, back east is a lot more private mm-hmm. or smaller parcels of public. So, you know, you're not you're going to do yourself a disservice by wandering around a small parcel of public land and blowing the animals out. As opposed to you come out west and it's, you know, millions of acres mm. potentially at your disposal. Got it. And if you don't put yourself in that position. And so it's it's more of a, the commute is really the difference. The so hunter, mm. hunter density plays into that too. Uh, it, it can, yeah, depending on where you are for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so because of that, the animals are different species wise, but they also act different, right? Mm-hmm. So animals, again, general comment, back east are a lot more pressured they don't put up with a lot of human presence out here. 
you know, in Colorado, as an example, they may see, you know, hundreds of hikers in a base in a year. Um, And so they, they're not easier to hunt necessarily, but they're just wired a little different, you know, and species has a big part of that whitetail deer. It sees you that's running a mule deer. It's probably going to, you know, give you a little bit more of a pause. Right. So, yeah. Well, and when you're designing for Sitka, are you guys designing for like Western or all types of hunters? So that's my job is specifically for, we'll call it Western hunting. You're so, doing Western. Big yeah. So, you know, I've, I've been able to, to take my experiences and specifically design gear for the person who's going to go into the mountains. I like to say unsupported. Mm-hmm and kind of expose themselves to the elements, right? So we're going to be out there for several days. We might have everything on our backs. We're going to be sleeping in a little tent. And, you know, depending on the weapon you're carrying. So as an example, you know, it could be a bow or a rifle. Uh, You could be on a hunt. It could be, you know, a military operation. It could be a, a backpacking trip, right? Like you still need the same technical quality gear. Mm-hmm. Rain is rain, snow is snow. Right. Um, yeah, you might have a camouflage pattern on one or it might be a little quieter for this, but you know, it's, it's basically just for going out in, in the mountains. And, um, and, and so that's kind of the technical gear that I try to build and try to solve these problems in, you know, hopefully meaningful ways for the consumer, you know, lighter weight, quieter, more durable, you know, suits a certain function, things like that. I have one question before we come back to this, but my most important question is why do we use camouflage while we're elk hunting? Well, I would say we use camouflage period for, for archery hunting, just to, you know, stack as many odds in our favor as possible. Um, But can the animals see it? Does it blend you into your environment more appropriately for the animal? So this is, this is the one So this is a very differentiated thing about Sitka Mm -hmm. and the way Sitka has approached camouflage. So we we all know in the military that we're developing a camouflage to fool a human's eyes. Correct. Right. And and whatever technology that we have as humans to see at night Mm -hmm. or et cetera. Um, But the animals see differently. So science has proven animals, ungulates we'll call it, so hooved animals, uh, split, split hooved animals like deer, elk. They see differently. They see in different shades. Uh, the The quality of their vision is different. And so, what what Sitka did through its Optifade camouflage is, we said, "Well, we're hunting an animal. An animal's looking at us. Let's try to develop a pattern that helps break up the human outline, the way the animal sees things." Mm. And so, you know, I was able to. I mean, I certainly didn't. When I got the Sitka, they'd already had Optifade. I was the one that helped develop Subalpine. Right. the one that's kind of become the popular one for elk hunting, mule yeah. deer hunting. And we we said, okay, you know, what's the general environment they live in? What kind of vision do they have? Best science we can get. What are the shades that they see? And then we wanted to look at that pattern under quote, quote animal vision, right? So 2040 vision, shades of blues and grays and blacks. What did it look like in the environment? Do you Once, have like animal goggles? No, but we do have something do called like- uh, ungulate vision. So it's basically <laughs> just a computer program we can apply. Seriously? That again, yeah, that, that kind of blurs it a little bit, <clears throat> puts it in those, those different tones of, of mm-hmm. color. 
and then so that so that you figure that out right but, but there's an, another part to this and uh so that's a commercialization part because humans aren't going to buy it if 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 i came off with the next great camouflage pattern it's this color exactly that was shades of pink which in the desert actually pink is a right is a great sure. color. I think yeah. this, this was the debate in the first Gulf War. Right. Uh, but I'm never going to sell that. Nobody's ever going to buy it. No hunter, mm-hmm. you know, worth their salt's going to buy that. So then it's a combination of trying to take the ungulate vision and the human perception for commercialization and right. put something in a really meaningful package that that kind of does both things. And um, so kind of put the window dressing, so to speak, on the on the pattern. Right. So it it does matter. Um you know, when we were developing this, we would have, you know, I'd, I'd put on this little suit that had the pattern on it. We'd go out into these different environments. The photographer would take pictures and then we'd put it back in the computer program with this ungulate vision, right? And I knew we were finally where we needed to be when I would stand. We never stood behind anything. We'd stand in front of something. The photographer would try to focus on us, take the picture, and he could not differentiate between myself and the, and the environment behind me oh, through cool. the viewfinder, we had to have a guy in civilian clothes, so to speak, stand in front. They'd focus on him. He'd step out of frame. They'd take the picture. Wow. So I, I knew we were getting close, but then in our testing, cause it doesn't matter, right? We wanted to work on animals when we were able to have these experiences. And I, I think maybe some of us have had them where, you know, you when you get that close to an animal, and you can kind of see their eyes, right? The whites of their eyes, so to speak. And you're like, I, I kept having these experiences where I said, the animal's not looking at me. He's looking through me. Mm. And I'm able to get away with some movement that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to get away with in the past. And right. it's not because I'm a great hunter. It's, it's actually, you know, just the opposite. But then other people started having those experiences. Yeah. And, and kind of telling me the same thing. Like, hey, man, like I had this thing. And I'm like, wow, okay, so it's not just me. Right. This is a very long-winded answer of telling you, yeah, it does matter. Um, and if you want to try to stack, you know, every odd in, in your legal advantage, then, you know, camouflage or at least the right kind of camouflage can definitely have a have a benefit. I mean, I'll tell you what, last year when I was mule deer hunting, it almost scared me because I stepped out behind a tree in broad daylight, not in the wood line, out of the wood line and a doe and a group of does was 10 yards away from me. She looked, the lead one looked at me and I just stood stock still. She stood up and just did one of these and huffed and stomped and did that for about a minute and looked away and I just slipped away and they didn't go anywhere. Hmm. Like that thing knew something was there because I moved. But when I stood still, she did what you said because I was wearing mask and everything. And she looked basically right through me. Yeah. What? Something's there, but it's not there <laughs> yeah like, what's happening there's a ghost yeah it was pretty wild yeah i mean it's yeah, as you know it's not it's still not easy right, right. especially with a bow like to get that close to anything <clears throat> um yeah so we're we're just trying to like again try to put some some the animals got almost every advantage so we're trying to just help ourselves a little bit so why not like so for instance when you look at your your patterns across the board are you making different colors for seasons because of the commercialization or are you making them for this specific ungulate? So whitetail, like your whitetail line, is that 
is that pattern and those colors, are they geared towards whitetail or are they... Uh, or, or is it more the season and the commercialization? Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a great question. And so really what matters to the animal. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are some colors that, that show up. So blues is an example. Blues show up. B- blues show up is very, this is what the science tells us, is okay. very vibrant colors to say a deer. Really? So they'll almost glow in the dark, so to speak, to mm-hmm. a deer. So you want to try to stay away from certain colors, right. but really what matters that aside is the shades or the tones between them. So mm-hmm. uh, as an example, in subalpine, you have a, a, a white color yep, and you have a black color. So you have one color at each end of the spectrum, mm-hmm. and then you have several, three other shades in between there. And those differences in colors are what adds depth or not. And then you want to make sure that they're not in that spectrum they can see. So that's important in the amount. So the macro and the micro, you, you know, we talk a lot about. So that's, that's the science part of it. But then to answer your second question, that commercialization aspect, then we have to go back, you're right, and, and say, okay, the human needs to feel comfortable wearing this. They, they need to believe this because they don't yeah. see like a deer. Right. And they want to blend into their environment. Right. And, and so you have to go back and say, okay, you know, if we're going to hunt sheep. in timber, we want it, we want it green. If we're going to hunt sheep above timberline, we want it gray. gray. Yeah. If we're going to hunt white-tailed deer in the rut where leaves start falling off the trees, we want more, you know, uh, grays and browns and things like that. So it's, it's this constant, you know, and anytime you're doing product development, and I'm sure that that can be for, you know, that bow or coffee or the product I make. You're always trying to make thoughtful compromises because mm-hmm. you can't get everything, right? right. And so you, you write design priorities down, <clears throat> what is the most important? So you solve for that and you go to number two, and then you go to number three. And you may only get, you know, my goal is to always get the top three done. Mm-hmm. Um, four and five may not be able to get done or may not be able to get done to your satisfaction. But, you know, you just start solving the problems from the most meaningful down. Yeah. Um, so anyways, camouflage is a weird one because- you know, not to demean our product or anybody else's, but at the end of the day, I mean, let's be honest, fellas, it's a fashion show. I mean, what, right? And right? What, what's I mean, f- what, what I like and what you like may be different. And if I have confidence in it, then, right. And right. what's, what's the Fred Bear quote? Like your best camouflage is sitting still. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, and I mean, how right is obviously that? Obviously you like, have to keep the wind in your face and all those kinds of things. I'm just joking. He's, uh, I was going to say, I'll pretend <laughs> I didn't hear that. Uh, Everybody's but, ears uh, just burned. Yeah, but, but you know, with, with, with like whatever you think, I would say that Sitka is the only one with their Optifade patterns that have tried to approach it from- What's Optifade mean? The, the deer's perspective. I, I think it's just a, you know, a term they came up with years ago to explain okay. the science. It, it's a marketing name to, you know, to, to identify ah, the science More window of, dressing. Well, well I think that's the thing. Like, how much of this is commercialization versus like no shit facts based on, you know, your ungulate vision or like no shit. You're looking at it from the perspective yeah. of the animal. Is it like 50-50? So I would tell you, so sit, as far as I know, Sitka is the only one that's approached it from the science of mm. the animal's vision. Okay. So, okay. so let's start there. Got it. Um, I don't know if I can tell you a percentage. I would say, I would say from what I've done and the patterns I developed, 75% of it is science. Okay. That's what we're trying to solve first. Okay. Once you solve that, quite frankly, picking 
the colors in the spectrum to make it commercially viable is sure. is the easy part, right? That, that seems easy to me. That that's the yeah, easy part. That's the easy part. Um, it, it's the science. So you know, I are can't. Easy. Yeah, I can't yeah. speak for for everybody else's pattern, but I do know that we're the only ones that approach it from from the animals' vision, right? So we have we have a deer biologist. Again, the guy's been doing this for forty or forty two years. Like, you know, he's he's on staff. Yeah. And like, that's all he does. Really? And they study rods and cones and all, and I don't understand half of it, but yeah, you know, so again, this is what we're trying to build it off of. So um, when you look at the difference between, do you know how a, an elk sees in a deer? Do you know the difference between those? So they have studied white-tailed deer the most okay. because white-tailed deer are right. the most prevalent, um, you know, animal ungulate in North America. And so that's where most of the science is. And then they look at, again, through mm-hmm. uh, biopsy, autopsy uh, of elk and mule deer and sheep, and they can look at and extrapolate. So best we know, um, mule deer and elk are, if not identical, very similar mm-hmm. to a white-tailed deer. Interesting. Um, sheep are a little different. You know, different species start to get a little different, like bears, right. you know, so now that's not even an ungulate. So they see different. Yeah. Um, And again, we can't actually see through that animal's eyes. So there has to be some extrapolation of information. Yeah. But at least we're trying to solve for X. And I think that's, that's kind of the cool thing that, you know, sick has done and, you know, that I've been kind of, you know, interested in is you try to solve for these white spots. Like Mm. what is the problem? And let's try to solve for that problem. Like, you know, what, what, what problem do we have? Well, you know, we can't get close cause these animals see us coming. Yeah. Okay. Well, why? <clears throat> well, if you don't take a step back and look at it, you're going to go, well, you know, that doesn't like, I can see that, or I can't see that, mm-hmm. you know, how much stuff we looked under, under IR and you're like, geez, man, we just glow in the dark. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. And it's like, so now we need to do some things that you may not even see visually, but all of a sudden make you invisible, so to speak under right. IR. Right. And so it's, it's kind of the same thing. Which the is, difficult thing is we're just not a deer, so we have yeah. to just. But that's why it's take important to look at and listen to this kind of kind of stuff, where you guys are looking at it from the science, right? As opposed to say, I'm going to throw out the hunting fad that I see now, which is solids. Yeah. Right. What yeah. do you mean? People hunting in solids, like yeah, it's a fad. Really? Oh yeah. There's lots of people that are pushing. Ah, it's fine. You can get just as close in solids. No, I've heard that. That's why I was asking John. Well, I have heard that narrative. That's why it's just. I mean, just based on the science. And and granted, I've known John for a while. Like, (coughs) it's so much. It's it's a fad, and you can see it's a fad because you know the the joke of Granddad hunting in a flannel. Well, he hunted in a flannel because a flannel breaks up your shape. Yeah, and that's all. And that's also all Granddad had, right? So as soon as you know, as an example, Marines came back from the Pacific. And they had the, the old duck hunter camouflage. It right? And it worked. And people started wearing it, right? They yeah. saw the value. Yeah. I would agree with you, Trevor, that- It's a fad. And, and I would use the same term. Like I would say fad. Um, you know, a lot of us have hunted in, in solids over the, over the years. It, again, call it a fashion show, call it what you want. It's a bit of a fad now tied to, I think, social media and ego. Right. In the sense that, oh, well, you went and, you know, got to 20 yards and killed a mule deer- in camouflage and I was able to do it in solids. Like I know some guys that are good enough that the animal never sees them coming, 
I I need a little bit more of an advantage if I can get it. Yeah, but, I think Aaron. But, but the thing is, like, could probably hunt in just about anything. Yeah, Absolutely. but then the thing is, you always want to stack the deck, right? So, like, you look at somebody like South, right? He gets up within stalking distance and he takes his boots off and he covers himself in camouflage and puts a ghillie hat on top of his head. Right. That guy could probably sneak up on on a deer in jeans and a t-shirt and right. be just fine. But why would you do that? Yeah. It's silly. Like why not? If it's our, if the, I went if the equipment's available. Last, last week in my running shorts with um, some boots that I'm trying to break in for my in, bear hunt. In Alaska. a blind? No. <laughs> Guess how many turkeys I saw? Zero. Yeah, zero. <laughs> I did. Well, I was out running and I was like, there's turkeys everywhere and I could do... Might as well. Double it, down. It didn't matter. Like, it didn't matter. They weren't yeah. running away from me. I sat there and watched this Tom. I didn't have Strut a shotgun stuff. or anything with me. He was just like <laughs> hanging out next to me. He's almost chasing me off. I'm like, I'm just going to go out in my running shorts. I don't need any, need any cool camos. Stupidest turkey. Not my question, I guess, is like so. If you got your your ungulate camouflage over here, what about a a what about your predators, your bears? So how do they see? What's their difference? Yeah, what, so there really hasn't, as far as I know, there hasn't been as much science on that. So you know, we currently, as an example, don't build a a pattern right. for a bear. It's probably not a lot of You know, as a general hunters. rule, because I know you're going on this bear hunt, like yeah. as a general rule, I think Cole would agree with me, like bears don't see as well. So if you look at the animal, right? Yeah. Big nose, small ears, smaller eyes. So nose is going to be the biggest sense Senate. that they have. Right. You know, and having hunted bears, you know, you can get away with more movement in, in that regard, but there just hasn't been the science because people don't want to put the money into it. Like the white-tailed yeah. deer is a big industry, Dude, right? A lot of money. How big, how big of an industry is it? I, I don't, I don't have any, I, I've heard some numbers, but I don't recall, but right. it, it's ridiculous, right? right? Like how many. It's billions. Hundreds. Yeah. I would, I would say it's probably in the billions. Wow. With, with just with the number of, you know, it's the largest, it's the largest segment in, in hunting in North America, right? Mm -hmm. Is the white-tailed deer hunter. So yeah, and it, is it that gets the, the most attention. Do you think that's that? Is that the ambush crowd? The guys that are doing yeah, the tree stand, tree stands, yeah, okay. that that kind of thing. Ground right. blinds, mm -hmm. just because the animal is so tuned in, it's so right. aware, right? Yeah, and I we mean, talk I, about these smaller pieces of property where you can't, you might have to slip in on the corner and like just hope the wind's in your favor and they and they come by you, right? right. But if you just go traipsing around, like let's just say we would after a turkey who has, as far as I know. If they do have a nose, they don't smell anything through it. Um, you know, you don't have to worry about the wind on, yeah. a, on a turkey. You don't right. have to worry about the wind on a human, right? But a right. deer, a, a bear, like you, that is the number one thing. Like right. If you don't, no matter what the camouflage is, if you don't beat the nose on whatever animal, you're, you're not getting close. Gotcha. You know, you're not going to get close. But, um, but yeah, there, you know, there has been a, I, I, I think people are getting weary of, I call it the camel wars. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and wars. I think people are like getting those. weary over... You know, every, Season. every little startup brand nowadays makes their own proprietary camo where right. it used to be back in the day, you know, if we were going to start a brand, a hunting brand, we'd pick a mossy oak or a real tree. Like mm -hmm. those are the two kind of dominant powerhouses in that space. Which to be yeah. quite honest, I can't tell the difference between the two. Well, if you were to put them <laughs> right in front of me, I'd be like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, so it's getting to the point now where every startup has their own proprietary camouflage. A lot of them are made by the same kind of design firm and really? um yeah and uh anyways so i think people are just getting weary of that and as an example so if i like if i really like a product from sitka 
And then I like another product from a, from two other competitors, right? I, nobody wants to mix that camo. Remember the fashion statement, right? True I, I, multi-cam. I want my, I want my camouflage <laughs> to match. It's, it's, it's a, you it's know, fashion it's, statement. It, yeah, it is. Wow. So more, when you have more solid colors, you know, I could say, well, I like, I like Sitka uh, and their subalpine pattern. I'm going to buy all their clothes, but I really like brand X's, you know, backpack Dang. is an example, yeah, right. right? So I'm going to buy, you know, the Kafaru backpack and solid, which is going to fit my camouflage clothing from Sitka. And that's going to be a good synergy where if it was just in another pattern, I may choose not to buy that because it's not going to match. Wow. I mean, and I think that confidence in the field no matter what we're doing. Yeah. I think that that helps. I think that's important. Yeah. So I think that's part of the trend. And I think, you know, we, we sell a lot of our um, hunting clothes in solid colors. And I think that, you know, I, I don't think it's too much to give away that that trend will continue. Um, what, in the next few months, you'll see that kind of expand for us. What's the name of my favorite pants? What are, what's the that? Apex pants. Do you guys have that one in, in solid colors? Not yet, but- but Such not to give bullshit. too much away, but I'm working on I kind agree. of a redesign of that. And, and, <laughs> right? No, you'll have I'm gonna a pair. Need those. So when I uh, when I was developing that, I have a pair in. Um, they're like a lead color, and I had like two other pairs. So he has a pair that I got. Yeah, I have, have a pair. but you don't sure. have a pair. But I got on field testers, and um, so one of my guys. So uh, is Jay, that like a fans only thing? Yeah, yeah. Well, you weren't a fan at called, the time. Is it? Uh, Field testers, that's the only yeah, fans field testers, field testers unite. <laughs> but this guy said, this is my favorite pair, pair of cold weather running pants, period. Jay? No, uh, Jay, Jay was shooting photos of Kiviak in cold Colorado. Cold weather okay, okay. running pants? Yeah, like so just, he's, he's wearing them to run it. They were running in them. Well, you can oh, do whatever like you want. Running and riding mountain bikes. For like, sure. And I knew, okay, so freedom of movement, like breathability, like everything, moisture management, everything I wanted was there. Yep. It didn't matter what you were doing, right? As long as you were physically active, the pant was going to perform. That's why I like. That's why you want that's them in solid. I like that yeah. that 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 pant, and that's why when I wear them, people are always asking me why I'm wearing camouflage. Like, am I going hunting? You know, I'm like, yeah. No, these are comfortable, exceptionally comfortable pants. Yeah, it just so happens. So we're going to be getting some. Yeah. So the so the goal is I'm going to make them in, in probably several solid colors. That it would be really nice. Just for me specifically, yeah. outside of anybody well, else. Well, you I may see care. some in a proto here right. sooner than later. But I got some new prototype pants uh, in the in the mail a couple weeks ago that you've been working on. Those are pretty. Those oh, are pretty that cool. I've been. Yeah, yeah. I That's like actually going to come out here. Uh, I think they've moved the date a few times, but sometime in April that pants okay. going to come so out. So that's going to be out in April. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, no, this month it's it's going to be out. Those are cool. Yeah, well, then let's just talk about yeah, it. No, we can talk about it. We can that. talk about it, and then we'll release this after. So yeah. let's talk about it. No, I don't think it's you know yeah. I don't think it's given too much away because like you know there aren't a million pictures of yeah exactly because John Dudley <laughs> you know who's a you know one of our ambassadors and athletes so uh, you know he's been a great friend over time right for all of us and so he had this idea for what we're calling the range pant right the Sika range pant and it's specifically designed for. Uh, you know, archery hunters yeah. and and people that like love to go and just shoot their bows, mm -hmm. shoot these total archery challenges, um, shoot in their backyard. And not but, have to wear a quiver. Exactly. So it's this pant where, you know, we've been able to take John's input and build in, you know, a hip quiver on the right thigh and then all these extra pockets where you can have, you know, every accessory you would need out on the range, range finder, uh, Allen wrenches, you know, if you're shooting for competition, a scorecard and a pencil, mm -hmm. um, your cell phone, et cetera, right. All this kind of stuff. And, um, anyways, we built this pant, um, you know, with John's input 
and uh, yeah, it'll be out this this month. And I think it's gonna my I, favorite. I think it's gonna dominate these TAC <laughs> events for yeah. sure. My yeah. favorite part of that pant. What do you think it is, Trevor? I like the what is it half inch tubular nylon. Yep, on the left thigh. On the left thigh that allows you to pull out and stabilize your bow, so you can. Uh, yeah, so you can range and glass, right? It's yeah, so the nice. right. See, so I, the I've only is, seen the original, okay, R and D version that yeah. he had up, at, like at the first tack there. Yeah, so I hadn't seen any closer to completion ones. So you know, John, so I didn't know from that this, was a thing. Obviously, hyper competitive, competitive, right. uh, you know, field archery uh, world. When you're trying to glass a target and you're trying to see little scoring rings yeah. and or you're trying to get a range from a from a distance if it's windy and you can pull this little uh thing out. This this loop like of, on your pack. This loop of nylon, right? Yeah. You can drop yeah. the bottom cam in. So yep. now you have stabilization and you can put either binoculars or range finder on the top limb and you have this nice, steady, almost monopod. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's sick. And then if you don't want that, if you never want to use it, or you're going to wear those pants to the bar right afterwards, it tucks away. The flap comes down over the quiver and you don't even know you're wearing anything, but just an awesome, right? Like soft shell pant. Yep. Yeah. Well, and, those, uh, those are small details that matter. Like, oh yeah, cover it up, but it doesn't look ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, no we're, ex- like, we're excited to have those. That matters. Uh, Excited to have those come out here. Are they going to come in uh, camo patterns too? So they're just going to start out in the lead color. So okay. kind of opposite gotcha. of the apex. But uh, hey, I I don't know. Yeah, John John wore them all last year. I think in the in the tack events, tack. I wore them a couple times. Like I was a little leery of you know because I always like to show off the stuff before it's commercially right. available. But obviously he got a huge audience. And so people knew it was coming. They didn't know the name or anything, right. but, uh, but I got to shoot a couple tack events God, he wore with him, like it. that first time he got a hand. Yeah, on so I, would, I would think we'd see a lot of them at the events this year. I hope so. You know, once, once it, cause I don't know when San Antonio, when that tack event next is, week, next week. Yeah. Next so week. so yeah. I, knew we, I knew we wanted to have them out kind of before that. And, but the bulk of the bulk of the events are June, yeah, July. For sure. Yeah. So. You know, but just supply resource constraints. Mm-hmm. With the virus and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I keep forgetting about that. Right. The whole... Well, it's weird. It's just like different things are affected, raw materials or (laughs) shipping or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, what were you saying is affected in Southeast Asia right now? Thread. Yeah, thread to sew things together. Yeah. Yeah, it's like nobody, you know, you don't think about it. No. It's not at the top of your list Mm. of... It's just kind of a thing, right? I made the same Factories buy thread, they sew your shit together and it's done. And they're like, yeah, we don't have thread. No, you know, we've weathered that storm pretty well, but, but... as a general rule, it's a, it's, a, it's a shortage. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was talking to a broadhead company the other day and they're like, yeah, we just made a bunch of stuff, but we're not sure we're going to have enough raw material to make, you know, we don't know how many more we're going to be able to make the rest of the year. Um, a knife company. We talked to a knife company and they're like, yeah, we can't get ball bearing steel, like ball bearing steel. Like that's got to be pretty, pretty prevalent. Pretty it's all ball bearings. Like it's all days. ball bearings. Yeah. Like everybody knows everybody that. Everybody knows that. So, <laughs> well, I do now. <laughs> That's yeah. a quote from Fletch. Oh, one uh, of the best movies one ever. One of the best movies or series, actually, because he made multiple. Like, yeah. I like to think that Chevy Chase in the 80s is... Spirit the, the late seventies and eighties. That's 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 my spirit animal. Just because we're, <laughs> we figured this out a couple. Yeah, we weeks did. Ago. We oh, figured yeah. it out a it's, few days ago. It's real. It's real. 
Whereas I had built my entire life around the character in Caddyshack that is Chevy Chase in that tie. <laughs> my entire life is just tie, aloof, tie. not really giving yeah. a fuck about anything. Just like, yeah, you know, not just, just kind of doing. Just putting yeah, at night. Timmy, nah, nah, Tommy, nah, 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 it's, it's, it's Dan. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Timmy, yeah. Tommy, whatever, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm excited, man. I'm excited to get those. Uh, one, I'm excited to get those pants, which I already have a pair, but to get them out and actually use them because I was under very, very strict yeah. orders. Yes. You're like, why so am I, I being given orders? John is in all the pictures with them. Well, I came and John texted me like, hey, you're going to get a package. Do not wear said package at any point in time. Like I was under very, very strict guidance. You're like a child at Christmas. Not- Here's your present. Don't open it. Well, I had to hem them. I had to tell my wife. They're a little, to, like, yeah. like, like six they're 32, 32. So they're a little bit baggy, but that's all right. It's not a big deal. Well, last year, I think at what, Big Sky Tech, you would ask me for those. And I was like, I don't know if we have any right now, like in your size. You know, but we had a few pairs. Him but, it. Super yeah. easy. Yeah. So my, my other question is, if you and Aaron hang out together, you and Aaron Schneider. Yep. What happens do the two of you spin each other up into a hurricane of shit, of anger, like a sh- anger storm, or what? So, what what happens in those circumstances, or is it kind of a you know a negative plus a negative equals a positive? Yeah, uh, yeah just unicorns and rainbows come out of that room yeah, all happens? of a sudden. Is it yeah. just magic? Yes, I I did a podcast with him. The last one I did with him, I almost like. Uh, I almost like blacked out like Will Ferrell when he was debating in old yeah. school. And he's like, he <laughs> I don't know what happened. Like, yeah, what, what was that? I don't know what happened. And I said stuff on that podcast. I mean, I remember saying it, but I listened to it again. And I was working out at the time and I right. damn near dropped weights on my feet. Like I was laughing so hard. I was like, I couldn't believe I said, you know, but my point is when Aaron and I get together, we like, we basically fall back to like, you know, the E5s we were in the, in the, in the military and just like, you know, everything, everything's on the table for, for discussion. It's a dangerous but, uh, space. But I would tell you, it's really productive. <laughs> yeah. Like he's a, you know, we obviously align a lot on a lot of things. How does and, that uh, work with Kefaru? Because, because uh, they obviously make a ton of gear that you guys make as well. Yeah, there so is some, there is some crossover. Um, yeah. Uh, he is such <laughs> a, he's a, he's a really, um, creative person. He's really valuable, uh, for me personally, right. As a, as a product manager, trying to get feedback from somebody who spends, my God, probably 200 days a year, Dude, you he know, spends a shit time, uh, time hunting. in the field. And you know, they don't, they don't make, um, clothing per se. They make a couple things like, uh, I think they make a puffy jacket. I think they make a sleeping bag. They make some um, super niche pieces. Yeah. I, I would say PAX is kind of where we cross over, <laughs> but you know, our pack offering is so different from theirs, right. but I think what it does is provides a consumer a choice. Right. So my pack is designed differently than his. And yeah. we, you know, we talk about, you know, things we're going to, we're going to do. Um, but I would say we have far more in common than we don't. And so we just see it as a force multiplier. Like he's just a, he's just a great, you know, addition to the team. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, proprietary stuff. We don't necessarily divulge to each other, sure. but, but that's fine. Like, cause I think it, what we do is we do things just slightly different enough that it gives, it gives the, the market, um, choices, which is good. Right. And I don't think you could make a bad decision, but it depends on your personality, how you use stuff. No, I mean, you know? I, I mean, I see it like they operate in the same ecosystem, not the same lane. 
No, I could see it. I, I just, I was, I was more interested from the perspective of how, <clears throat> which you, you kind of explained it, yeah. which yeah. is like, because I see Sitka or I shouldn't say Sitka necessarily. I see you and Aaron doing things. And I'm like, wonder if anybody has issue with that on yeah. either side. Well, so first of all, fuck him if yeah. they do. That's fair. Um, Cause he's a friend, but yeah. he's super valuable. I think from a business perspective, but right. yeah, we were just hunting together. You were in um, Texas, right? We were in Texas, right? Yeah. And it was awesome. Cause we're out there, you know, walking around the mountains, getting stuck all over with, with cactus and stuff, but it gave us six days of opportunity to, you know, we were talking about that apex pan as an yeah. example. It's like, mm-hmm. Hey, you know, if we were going to make this better, like what would we do? And like, what's your experience? And, you know, and so just absolutely invaluable, right. From a product development standpoint to have people like that um, and, and just run it through, you know, the filter of that I've got yeah, and, and you can end up getting some cool stuff, you know? And so if, if you want to sit there and, and say, man, if you're not like completely on board with everything we do, or you're not completely on board with everything, you know, Kafaru does like, you know, fuck you, you're kind of off the team. Right. I, I just think you start to limit yourself. Mm-hmm. Like you, you just close down that aperture a little bit too much. I mean, obviously I'm not going to go and bring somebody in from another, you know, direct competitor. Sure. Um, but I mean, but, I do that. But I don't see him as that. I, I see yeah. him as a force multiplier. You know, he's trying to do, uh, he's, uh, you know, clearly he is part primate and caveman. Um, he's got, oh, he's probably got 10 times the normal Neanderthal DNA. Yeah, a, exactly. As a, as a and so person. when people look at him, I think they, they can be intimidated, but the reality is that guy is so generous with his time. He's so generous with his information and he's really just trying to help people out. Right. Yeah. Um, how could you not want to be a part of that? Right. I mean, he's been doing it forever, like yeah. long before, you know, you and I were in the public eye, you know, sure. he was out there doing these things. So, you know, he's, he's kind of earned those stripes. Yeah. And he's such a great guy. Like he was out here, did our podcast a few weeks ago. Oh yeah. And he'll text me random, super randomly. He does stuff with Mike Glover mm-hmm. yep. and Heber. Yep. And it's so interesting because I was thinking about this the other day. So our friend network is so, um, it, it, it's fairly, it's expanding, but it's very insular. So Mike and I mm-hmm. worked at the agency together. Right. So, and now he's in Heber. Mm-hmm. So he's running field craft, obviously. And then, you know, you're up in big sky, you know, Jocko's up in big, or you're up in Bozeman, Bozeman yeah. Jocko's in big sky and all yep. these guys, like we're, we're, we're getting a more and more, I think, eclectic group of people. Oh yeah. And we're all kind of with like mutually uh, supporting fields of fire. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. 60 degrees. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, yeah. it's, I was great. So Trevor and I were Death talking blossom. before this started and, you know, it's like, listen, when you're, when you're in the service and you're kind of, you know, you're kind of stuck with guys, right? Like you don't get yeah. to, ch- to choose necessarily. Um, and it works, right? It works sure. great. But, but after when you get out and you have a choice and, you know, seeing what people do, seeing what their interests are, and then how certain people and personalities begin to come back together. Mm-hmm. That's what's been so fascinating over this last, whatever, six or seven years, you know, since, since I've been out and, and just kind of more of this stuff has become mainstream. Um, super fascinating, right? How that, 
like gravity yeah. kind of pulls people back into the same. Well, and guys like, are like pre-vetted, but then they get re-vetted. Yeah. Once you float back in, it's like, all right, well, do you have some like? Yeah, because you didn't weird. You didn't get the term last time. Yeah. Yeah. Are you weird. Like, I had yeah. to work with you last time. <laughs> yeah. Like, are you like break yeah. glass in case of war yeah, type of no. dude that I don't really want around my kids? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it's true. You it's know, true. I was talking to it my happens. buddy. Like, I was talking to my buddy yesterday that uh, he was the founder of Softly. And I, he and I have talked probably every other month for five years now. And he's uh, a great guy. And I was like, hey, are, are you guys going to participate in our adaptive? I actually, I called him. I was like, do you guys want to participate in our adaptive athlete shoot? And he's like, oh, fuck yeah. We'll get <laughs> somebody <course>. out there. <laughs> of course. Like, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be super fun. You know, the intent obviously is to raise awareness and raise money, but also is to get a group of guys together where we know we're going to have fun and there isn't going to be, you know, a bunch of weird agenda based stuff. Right. Yeah. It's just like, Hey, come out, throw some arrows, raise some money. There's no ego measuring. No, yeah. I don't think so. And if there no, was, no, then, no, no, then, no, no. I think that's pretty done a long the time ago. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just like when we were at Deseret and we we're up there mm-hmm. with like, you know, Jocko and all those other weirdos up there. Yeah. Man, nobody's really, you know what, dude, from the outside weird. looking in, somebody would have looked at that camp and said, holy Christ, how does that work with all those like big personalities and what people may foresee as big egos? Like, And, and, and the reality was it was nothing but a group of friends all yeah. hanging out with the same basically kind of personalities. Dude, the moose you hunt know? two years ago was the same way. Yeah. 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 You'd look at that and go, No. <laughs> well, small world. <laughs> That'll never work. That'll so never work. work. So small world. <laughs> My friends were down here two weeks ago or a week ago, Ed and Kay. Yeah. And they were in bear camp with Rogan and Cam up in Canada and Adam Greentree. So Rogan, Cam, and Adam Greentree were all in the same bear camp with my two friends that I've known for over a decade. He trained my he trained my my last German short hair pointer, did field trials. He just retired from the Idaho State Police. He's an awesome guy. But then I knew those guys way, way, uh-huh. way back, way back. And then they knew Green Tree. Green Tree stays at their house. Okay. <laughs> they knew Green Tree and all these other guys before I had to. Yeah, because I was going to say were. that had to be years ago. Yeah. Right. That they did that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah. It's like, and yeah. So here's Ed and Kay ta- telling me how their experience with like Cam and Green Tree and Rogan. And they're like, Rogan is like the coolest guy ever. He's like, Making fun of everybody, and it's like, yeah, it seems about right. That, yeah, that smells about right. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. like, you know, I think that's the uh, the thing about you know who we're doing business with and how we're spending our time with recreating is like everybody pretty much gets along, and I we all know so. each other. Yeah, so like a phone call. Everybody away. has everybody's number. Yeah, yeah, it's super weird. Because it's like, as you get older, even the people that you wouldn't think were connected, they're connected. So like the Borac out in Oregon, like they know my co-CEO, Tom, from some oh, other thing. shitting me. No, really? like it's <laughs> weird, man. It's it's like, it's such a weird... Wow. Like, well, it seems hey, like everybody knows each other. We all know it's about the network, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, but but I, to me, it's fascinating, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's kind of as I've, uh, you know, whatever, like, maybe come out of my shell and a little bit more in the public eye, like, and just talking to humans again. Um, it, it's fascinating to me, like how many of us who 
I don't know. We just, we've all had these common, these common likes, you know, at first it was only the military, but fuck, it's so much broader than that now. And like I, like I say, this gravitational pulls like brought us all back into the same. Well, yeah. Davin gave you your, your yeah. first job da- da- and Davin, beyond. Yeah. Tom Davin and, and Rick Elder. Right. And, uh, but so I'll, this is a fucking funny So I got to tell this story. Okay. Uh, so, yes. so I'm like, I'm, I'm punching, like I've, I've had enough, I, you know, getting too old, can't keep up. I'm like, I gotta get out of the military. So, um, so I'm like, I don't know what I want to do. I think I want to be in the hunting industry. So I tried to start pursue that anyways, I, like we're, I'm getting to the point. I'm like, you know, it's imminent. And, uh, so this guy, Rick reaches out and he says, who's a friend of mine? from, from the service. And he's like, Hey man, like I got this job beyond clothing and be perfect for it. Like basically building all these like crazy, you know, one-off uniforms for, for different units to do stuff. So crazy like stuff. we were talking about, yeah. like, I don't give a shit if it only lasts yeah. one. Op. I don't care what the like, cost that's is. Make all, it happen. And I'm like, right. that's perfect for me. Yeah. Like, oh awesome. fuck. Yeah. Like I'll build unicorns all day long. So, uh, <laughs> so anyways, like this is a done deal. So I'm thinking it's a done deal. So you know, my wife and I move, like move down here to Salt Lake and I fly out to Seattle and I'm thinking it's a done deal. And I get there and whatever the first day looks like. And, uh, Rick says, Hey, I want you to meet, uh, you know, Tom Davin. He's the CEO of 511, 511 owns beyond, you know? Right. And so Tom and I sit on a couch, like two old friends, we sit on a couch and we start talking. And I realize within a minute of this conversation I'm like, you don't have this job. I'm like, fuck me. He's interviewing me right now for this <laughs> job. <laughs> and if I fuck this up, You're I'm out. out. <laughs> I'm out of my ass. Uh-oh. And I'm like, so it went from like casual conversation to like, uh-oh. Everything fucking, puckered up. <laughs> yeah. Starting to like, and I'm like, ah, fuck it. What? Just, you know, he's an old Marine. Just sure. like, just, you know, be honest. And, and so anyways, my point is like, I credit Tom and Rick with giving me my first opportunity out of the service. Right. And, and the reality is all of us need that first opportunity either, you know, could be a banker giving you money for your first business or, you know, your first job or whatever. So anyways, it's super cool. Cause I'm down there talking to Tom today and you know, we've stayed in touch, but, yeah. and, uh, I'm like, yeah, Tom been, you know, come a long way in seven <laughs> years. How about you? <laughs> Both of us really. Yeah. It's- Tom, Tom went back. So he was like, he's, he's been digressing. That's what he's been doing. <laughs> he was at a really like, yeah. hyper functioning like, you find yourself here? company. <laughs> it's like, now he's going back. Now he needs like, yeah. now he needs fucking, now he needs help, I guess. Everybody needs that first leg up though. I mean, I have Andy to thank for pointing me at Evan. He's like, hey man, have you met Evan? Uh, we were at the... At the archery thing, we were at the at, archery at Bob Fromm's. Oh shit, that's yeah. right. And Andy's yeah, like, "Do you know Evan?" I'm like, "Uh, no, I don't." And he goes, "He's making coffee around the corner." And you were sitting like, oh, crossing it on the was, floor. I know that was the first time like, you guys had met. You should do something for yeah, us. Like, I was, okay, I was because uh, George, George, yeah, yeah. I, was, <laughs> I was hand grinding <laughs> coffee, and we we're shoot, we we're just shooting the shit, and I was like yeah. literally on the floor. A making performance, coffee. right? Yeah, yeah, making coffee. In like a corner. Yeah, in a corner. And Andy's like, you should and, go talk to him and get some coffee too. Yeah. And that was a world. That's where everybody, because everybody was there. It's the three of us. Yeah. It Andy. was Andy, Rogan, Dudley. Yep. Jocko. Jocko. From. And some which, other like ancillary people. Do you remember? You remember <laughs> when went, you, did you go to the wind tunnel with us? No. Oh God. Okay, so when we went to the wind tunnel. No, I blew out that. With Jocko like, and yeah. his kids. Dude, Jocko. Holy shit. Free fall. <laughs> 
is one of the exactly fucking like funniest things. Yes. Yeah, he's yeah, trying to it's like an anvil with arms. He's trying to like control and bundle. Like what it reminds <laughs> me of is he's trying to bundle the air and throw it out of his way. Put it you in know the headlock. what I mean? Granted, his son <laughs> Thor was <laughs> yeah. like that, but double. Yeah, it was awesome, man. It was so <laughs> forgot it was, about that. I was he was in the wind tunnel and I was like, oh, and I, I came around the corner and I was like, it's so cool seeing guys for the first time. And I was like, wait a minute, that's Jocko. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> like you're not you're not gonna win win <laughs> no. against Air. It's kind of like a whole maybe a samurai philosophy type scenario where you need to really. It's one of my favorite places to see guys that are from the special operations community because they're control freaks. Not just control freaks, but they're usually hyper physical. Yeah. And then they see like Mr. Hippie sandal wearing weirdo who gets in the tunnel and does flips and shit. And then they're like, all right, Nick, come on in. And you, that guy goes in like, yeah, gets in there and boom, into the glass right on the other side. What happened? That was exactly what we had going on there. But Jocko's free fall certified. And and he's, I mean, it wasn't that bad. bad, But I, I was like, it was so... Exactly what you would think it would be. Yeah. Like seeing Jocko. <laughs> he was super, trying to. He was stable. Yeah. He was very he was stable. Very stable. Stayed like right in the middle. Yeah. Like, like a brick. brick. Like, with, <sighs> with arms. Yeah. With like a brick with arms. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Like Newton's apple falling <laughs> from the just, tree. <laughs> and I think Dudley, that was his first time. It was, but he yeah. could touch all the walls. So that wasn't fair. Yeah. He just right. kind of like. He, he just, just stretched like, out. Stretched out his entire like. 10 foot wingspan of his own. That's arms. right. Cause Andy and I were teaching him to skydive. That was the weekend. Same, oh, the same yeah. week. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going somewhere. I can't remember. That was, was hilarious. Like in, and then I was out. That was quite a week. Which is where we're going. We're the next time you and I are going to be down in San Diego. Mm-hmm. I wonder if we'll, we're going to do this thing with Jim Woods. You remember, do you know Jim? We were talking, we were talking about, about him. Yeah. So we're going to be doing this. Very cool, cool thing. free fall thing, which is cool because uh, I think we're going to have to do like jump trips. <clears throat> I think we'll have to arrange and do jump trips where we go <laughs> and we do like a week just fucking jumping our asses off in different places. It's quickly turning into a team, I'm, a team here. I'm yeah. not. We're doing jump sustainment to like jump off anything like an antenna or anything <laughs> like that. I'm not about to do that yet. Yet. <laughs> but I might have a deal cooking yeah, but close to a bridge for where people jump off. <laughs> but the workup for this sounds awesome. No, because we'll be able that to get our- a helo and do elevators mm-hmm. and just jump our asses off. I'm bringing a couple other guys out from uh, former military buddies of mine. They're going to mm-hmm. do the elk hunt this year up in Utah. We'll do a bunch of elevator jumps. Get some packers out there. Have a blast, like cook some barbecue. Enjoy life. Enjoy, just genuinely enjoy life. You're loud. I think so. Yeah. Don't you? Like we shouldn't have to apologize for that no. anymore, right? Mm-mm. Yeah. No. Would you be in on that? No. Why not? No. I'll tandem you. No. Or static line him. Just. No, I want to I want to put him on the front of me. Oh, yeah, yeah. That is no? never going to happen. Not with him. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, now going back to you, John, <laughs> before we start, like, we're all over the place on this one. Going back to you, you've done a, a lot of hunting. And one of the things that really pisses me off about you is um, 
is you like to pass on moose that you could have shot. <laughs> I love that you brought this up because we were talking about this about 25 minutes ago. <laughs> so Trevor and I didn't pass. Like, uh, honestly, the, the thing that I shot was pretty small. It looked like the, the moose looked like deer antlers, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. But you're, you're after a certain type of moose when you kill one, right? Well, I, he was I've, after my moose. I've never. He was after. I've moose. never killed one, so let's like get that on the <laughs> but record. You but you had an opportunity to shoot one. Yeah, I did, but it just wasn't what I was. You wanted something for. bigger. I mean, so you know, back up a couple days. So <laughs> okay, <laughs> yes. Well, let's back up a couple years. So yeah, I yeah. lived in Alaska. Start at the beginning. You know, never got the opportunity to shoot a bull moose, right? right? And uh, you were there for a while, right? How yeah. long were you in Alaska? And I only, like. Uh, like I think it was 13 years. I was trying you to. You lived there 13 years yeah, on Kodiak. And you shot zero moose on Kodiak. Yeah, and you shot zero moose. Well, there was no moose on. I know, Kodiak, but how but did you? Yeah, uh, deer, bear, mountain goat, other things, right? You've, so you've shot a lot. And again, of black I think tail. my I think my luck, right, is right. like just transcended. Really but but I went on this 12 or 13 day fly in horseback hunt for moose in northern yeah. British Columbia maybe a year, to, a year prior to the one we went on. Right. right. And, uh, so, I mean, this, the Cassiar mountains are like known, this area is known for like, you know, Big moose, moose, lots of moose and et cetera, et cetera. And there were five of us, I think hunting in camp. Anyways, long story short out of 12 or 13 days, never, I never put my eyes on any moose. Right. Like none. So that was interesting. Right. And then Did I got, anybody else in camp. I forgot to ask uh, you that. Two, two, let me think. Uh, two, is it four of us? No, two out two out of the four. Yeah, four of us. Two out of the four killed. Okay. Killed so Green Tree, this other guy, Brian, Call. He, oh, yeah. He killed one. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, yeah, me and Hart never even saw one. So I'm like, well, all right. And then I got in a big horse wreck at the end. So I was like, oh, at least I got something to, you know, show for my effort. Right. And then we go on the hunt, you and I go <laughs> on, and Trevor. And uh, of course, Trevor's like... I don't know if you had, but Trevor never hunted moose. I'd never sure. seen hunted moose. And mm-hmm. like what, within two days, he had a big bowl down? Three, right? Three. It was day three. Yeah. Like third day. Yeah. yeah. So I think the same day that he had his encounter, I had an encounter with a big bull, mm. like huge, like 60 inch wide. So for Canadian moose. Yeah. I think you saw a huge one in the morning. Right. How but then we went back and got on him. So mm. not, not close the first right. time. Probably could have killed him with, Probably should have killed him with a rifle, yeah. but we just weren't, I wasn't thinking like right. that at the time. Oh, we, back, we were all bow hunting. Calling this bull in. Here he comes. It sounds like a bulldozer coming through the woods and we know it's the same bull and he's 80 yards away, but he's in the trees and he needs to come up the hill. Well, over the course of time, it took him to do this. Nick is like 200 yards behind us calling. So he's going to come right by. Like I'm convinced of it, you know, but anyways, this darkness kind of began to settle in the wind shifted and the thermals went downhill and he got our wind. And it was like, I've never, I can't imagine an animal could break brush and trees and make that kind of noise running away from us. Yeah. So, you know, when you have that in your mind, like that kind of animals walking around, he's there. Like, you know, I got, I think I have 19, 19 days in those two years, like 19 or 20 days in those two years hunting moose. I'm like, that's the one I want to kill. Yeah. And then on the last day, we found a small one. Yep. And I'm like, nah, I'm not, I'm not, I don't need to shoot one that bad. Like it just, it wasn't that important to me at the time. Right. right? Um, 
So yeah, you know, it is what it is, but uh, it was still an awesome hunt. It was, it was a lot right? of fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. got a bunch of moose down. A it, was, bunch. it was cool. I'm yeah. still, I'm still eating moose. I am also still, oh, yeah. still eating moose. Enormous. Yeah. Well, you loaded up the whole back of that truck vehicle truck. Yeah. 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 And with, so did you. Yeah. So did I. I mean, I brought that whole thing home in well, the back his of my was taco. More impressive because can't imagine that. This was 300 even, pounds heavier than mine. That might have been the biggest moose to come home in a Tacoma. If customs are going to make you True. unpack that to look at your, like you were fucked, you were never oh, yeah. going to repack I'll it tell the you same what. way. Enjoy I'm yourselves. Gonna, <laughs> I'm going to do it again. Like I'm never going to not drive it home because oh, it yeah, was, that was that, super that easy. the way to go. Clutch. Super yeah. easy. So clutch. And they're, you know, they throw over the, you know, tarp or whatever they look in there, sign your... Paperwork get you home, no no problem whatsoever. I had a I had a great experience getting through there, uh, and the guys and they usually are congratulatory. Oh, good job! Yeah, no, and the guys on the border, the Canadian Mounties, right? They're like, oh, are you, you know, I can't do a Canadian accent, but I'll try. Like, I felt know, it coming. Oh, are you a black rifle? You know, or whatever. It's, <laughs> yeah, I am. It's like, you know, good day, mate. <laughs> whatever it is, I'm like. Yeah. So I like handed him a bunch of black rifle and, uh, and they were, they were so stoked That's and it cool. was, uh, you know, both, both sides, man. They were, it was just so cool because yeah. the Mounties, I get DMs all the time from Canadian Mounties. Like, man, I love your, love your coffee. Love this. So. Well, they can't own a black rifle, so they might as well get black rifle coffee. They can. They can. They can. I didn't know that either, but yeah, oh. you have like, you know, I mean, you have to, do a lot of jump stuff. Do a lot of paperwork, but yeah, you can. It's just well, it's a cool. lot of paperwork, and uh, but I, I I think that it's super cool. That even up in Canada, they knew exactly who we were, and on the border, like super everybody cool. kind of knew. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was pretty awesome, man. It was really really it was such a good trip. Nick and those guys. Do you still talk to those guys at all? Yeah, I feel sorry for those Canadian outfitters. I mean, yeah. dude, you know the first the first spring season they missed. You know, I, I felt bad. We all felt bad. But we're like, ah, you know, they can make it up. Fall's really where they're sure. going to make their money. Now we're they coming had no into fall. Third and fourth and season. They had no spring this year. And who knows what's going to happen, you know? Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how many of those, you know, I know outfits it's probably are going to be, be able to stick around. I know it's going to be good moose hunting when we do finally get to go up there. Absolutely. It's going to be really good moose hunting. Yeah. Right. No, moose We're, hunting or bear hunting or whatever. It's going to well, be for off, some, off for the some charts. Of you need to go back and get a moose. Yeah. Is the, is Alaska, does Alaska have the biggest moose or? Oh yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. well, the, the Alaskan Yukon moose. The Alaskan so Yukon. Alaska and, and the Yukon, so part right. of Canada, right? So that's kind of the biggest species. So we were hunting right on the edge of the Yukon, but just inside BC, they were considered Canadian, but. Obviously, the the animals don't know. Yeah, right. but but yeah, Alaska, Canada, okay, by far the biggest. Yeah, so that moose we saw, like he was sixty inch wide, like that's a Alaskan size moose. Well, I mean, God, and then mine know. was like a fifty four inch. Oh inside. yeah, no, so your, yours was fifty four. Yeah, fifty four inside. Yeah, which, which wow. is a huge, a huge Canadian BC. moose. Yeah, yeah, for and sure. He was in regression. I mean, I think he was what ten and a half, eleven years old or something. Mm-hmm. And he was in regression. Oh yeah. Wow. Okay. And that had a bullet hole in it, right? That was hilarious. Yeah. In the paddle. Yeah, had a bullet hole in the paddle. So somebody rang his bell. Yeah. So if you were to go on a, given the opportunity, where is your greatest chance to 
to shoot a moose, do you think? I, I, Outside I would, of a high fence. And, I, I would and, say probably probably the, the Yukon, Northwest Territories. Yeah. yeah. For, from everything I know. I mean, right. and I'm not just saying this because, you know, I haven't killed one yet, but like even when we were, when I was living up in Alaska, you know, you hunt them during the rut, right? So sure. you're trying to take advantage of some of their, uh, you know, cloudiness in the brain for the rut. But, mm. but it also brings, you know, the, this, these areas are so huge. The population density of animals are not like people think. They're and like, moose, oh, you go to Alaska, like there's, you know, there's, there's, yeah, you know, moose are in every corner. moose everywhere. Well, yeah. moose are solitary too. And, yeah, it's not true, but certain times of the year they start coming together. And so then you get bigger concentrations. Of course, that, that ups your, you know, chances. Um, so, you know, any place you can go where it's, you know, roadless and there's less people, there's less intrusion. The animals are just doing what animals do. Right. And I just think up there, um, you know, and you can use, what is it? You can use helicopters and NWT to kind of fly around. And so you're, you're a little bit more, you have more access because you're not just flying a plane, having to land on a strip. It gives you more options, right. To land in places. But um, can you do unguided? So can you do? No, uh, not uh, in Alaska. You can, you can. Yes. Yeah. For miss. Yeah. For certain species, you can go unguided. So the brown bear hunt, you can't. Right. Black bear hunt, you can. Yeah, it's right. Oh, so, interesting. Brown bear, yeah. for moose, goat. you can do an unguided you yeah. Alaska trip. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's cool. So I, I think didn't it's know brown that. bear, goat, sheep, and sheep. Goat, you have to, yeah, you would have know. to have a guide. Yeah, you have to have a guide yeah. in Alaska. So, which, you know, that's that's cool. It just costs you more money, right? Mm. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, you can absolutely. And there's so many, uh, yeah. I mean, there's moose all over the state in Alaska. So, are you going to go it, up there and do guided or unguided? For your moose hunt, are you going to Alaska? Or are you going to go to? BC? I'm not going to Alaska for. Oh, you mean my next one? Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, you gotta I have. A, I'm gonna go on an a, idea. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on a caribou hunt this year. Seriously? Yeah, me and my buddy. Just, Unguided? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you go up there, you hunt enough species, you kind of learn the animal. You don't need to necessarily have a guide. I mean, what a guide. Where are you gonna go? Um, probably the Brooks Range. Oh, so cool. you know, above Fairbanks, oh, yeah. above the Arctic Circle, kind of go up there. Um, and I haven't been back since I left. So I was like, yeah, it's, it's probably time to go back, you know, right. check it out. Uh, you know, unfortunately, like once I left and, you know, gave up my Alaska citizenship, uh, residency, I should say, you know, the chances of me like ever hunting a doll sheep again are probably nil. Next to zero. Yeah. Cause I just don't want to pay that kind of money for a hunt that I know I can do on my own. What's that? Um, what's that kind of money? Like what's it uh, cost there? Uh, nowadays, probably what? 16 to 20. 25, wow, like 22 a, plus. Yeah. For a doll sheep? Yeah. yeah. It keeps going up. Um, Dude, that's the cheap one. Are you kidding me? That's the cheapest of the cheap. Yeah, why? that's the cheapest so why? of the, By a long shot. Why uh, is that so expensive? So it has to do with availability of the animals, um, availability of guiding areas, mm-hmm. scarcity, and then just a little bit of fatness, you know, like prices come and go based on what some of them people just want. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, they can be as, you know, upwards of 45 grand for some of these like... Bighorn sheeps. Well, yeah, I've heard that. I've heard the bighorn, depending on like what tags and uh-huh. where, yeah. they, they can be huge prices for those things. It can be wild. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I don't know, like are these individual collectors that are just looking to, are they looking for the experience? Or are they looking for the mount? Or are they looking for both? Yeah, I think it depends. I, I think it depends on the person, but you know, with sheep, Mm-hmm. 
So there's four species of sheep in North America. And so, you know, to get your grand slam is to shoot all four. So that's a, that's a thing, right? Right. And so some guys try to chase that. Mm -hmm. The ones to Trevor's point that are a little harder to access. So, you know, sheep in Canada are going to be harder to access for Americans, Mm -hmm. Um, more remote, et cetera, et cetera. So like a dull sheep may be the most prevalent, less expensive stone sheep can be really expensive, mm-hmm. you know, 55, 60,000. And then like a desert bighorn, you may never draw that tag in, in the United States. Right. Yeah. You go to Mexico, <clears throat> yeah. people don't understand that supply and demand, you know, 75,000. So, you know, so if you want you know, if that's really important to you to, to kind of fill thing. that grand slam, then, right. you know, that's worth it to you. If it's right. not, then it just seems like an exorbitant cost, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but like you said, like there are guys and it is totally doable to draw those tags. Yeah. You can but, do it. Like I mean, it's, it's, those are all possible. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, it's I've, not crazy, I know guys that but, have drawn the wild buffalo tag here yep. in Utah. Like it's not impossible. It's a thing. So. It's a thing. And then how many people are really putting in for that too? Like a lot. I mean, the wild buffalo archer, archery, like a lot that yeah. in this in this in the, grand in, the, in the grand scheme, not really. There's just not that many opportunities, right? No. That not not that many tags every year. So yeah, there aren't. Um, you know, it's good to see that Alaska did whatever they did to make it right for that year. That you know, yeah. like you guys missed that you could go back up there this year. Oh yeah, nice. yeah, oh, yeah. Fishing they game could up have in managed Alaska. that a couple different ways and made it really difficult. I, I on think people. they did the really appropriate thing for uh, for the outfitters because they understood that those guys have done a lot of research and put a lot of legwork into keeping the animals really, really healthy. I mean, the bear population is larger than it's been. It, you know, they Is it larger? Yeah. And the bear sizes are maintaining or getting larger every year. They keep shooting larger bears, um, which so is the telling. The population is increasing and the mm-hmm. size of the bears are yeah, Which means that they're managing, up. they're literally managing them correctly, right? So it's a healthy population of animals. So when the season got bumped due to all this, yeah. Alaska fishing game, decided, all right, well, then we'll just, instead of going every other year in one of the units mm. or in one of the areas for brown bear, they were just like, we'll just do two in a row and then go back to the normal cycle. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So they're like, you guys have been doing the right thing for long enough. There's no reason to skip a season. So that, that's, screw you. that's how you guys were able to, to get on the peninsula then. Yeah. yeah. So how, um, when, you know, cause you were up there for quite a few years. Did you, how many brown bears did you? So up? I drew one tag you and, drew and one? I killed, and I killed one brown bear. And you in can do 14 one? years. Mm-hmm. And you can do did one you every put in every year. Yeah. So we were able to hunt as, as a resident, you were able to hunt certain areas around town, like every year. Uh-huh. Obviously so you can hunt, you can hunt every year for, for, but, around for brown bear. But you really? can harvest one every five. Yeah, if if you were successful, if you were successful, was five or one seven. every five. I don't remember anymore, I think it's five. but but it was a little harder because you know closer to population density, more yeah. people, bears are a little more mm-hmm. you know leery. Um, but yeah, I did. I forget what year it was, but I did draw my tag and I drew it. You know, I drew a tag off the road area I could get to area I yeah. kind of knew had been in had some had some intel. It's not and like the road system unsupported, so you didn't. Yeah. Do- Yep. Okay. Me and, uh, me and two other guys. Okay. Yep. And, uh, it, it was it's not like the road system's easy. I mean, it's still, thick no, through there. it's not, it's not, but yeah, it was, you know, it's, it's an incredible hunt. I remember telling somebody it's like, so I'm sitting there, this 
we'd seen some bears and it was a spring hunt mm-hmm. and we'd seen a giant one day and he was way up this drainage up in the snow, laying on his back, just like sleeping. And then he'd wake up and he'd roll around. And I mean, this bear didn't have a care in the world. So that, that'll tell you right there, like his personality, like he's a dominant bear. Like uh, he's yeah. not worried he's about anything. He's like the bear probably in that drainage. And what's cool is I think a buddy a year later went back and killed that bear. Cause it was the same drainage, exact same spot. But anyways, um, so just couldn't get on these bears, you know, and then the bears we were seeing were too small. And so anyways, we're, we're out cruising the, the shoreline one evening and this bear's coming down and we just beach the boat about half a mile behind him with the wind in our favor. And I right. just jumped out and started jogging down the beach with your bow. Yeah. And he's coming down, he's coming down, you know, out of the mountains mm-hmm. and I'm coming down the beach under, again, understanding their eyesight isn't great. As long as I got the wind. Yep. And, uh, you know, shit you do, but so my buddies, uh, I just kind of left them because I was just motivated, you know? Anyways, I, I got in behind this bear and this bear's just walking through this open cottonwood bottom through these rolling hills, but like 200 yards from the beach. And, uh, I just got in behind him and just started following him. And I just followed this bear walking behind him. When he stopped, I'd stop. When he'd go, I'd go. And then um, he finally got to a plot, uh, a spot and he bedded, came up behind a hill and we're sitting on top of this hill at 65 yards, just watching. And we probably watched this bear for, uh, it's hard to say exactly, at least wow. 20 minutes, mm-hmm. at least, maybe longer. And then eventually he got up and I had my buddies, I was like, listen, I don't give a fuck about record books, but when this shit goes down, just don't, don't, don't do hesitate. Don't do just it. Shoot him. Yeah. No, right. I said, yeah, yeah, just don't, don't. I, the last thing I want to do is injure a bear. It, yeah. And well, or the last thing one. I want to do is go after a bear. I mean, sure. these things, you know, cause I'd lived there a while. I'd heard these stories. I'd seen the results like bears going in and button hook on you, you know, and just laying in ambush and, you know, Cole's got, he'll tell you all the stories, but yeah, and anyways, long story short, when it went down, shot the bear, two rifle shots, bear ran 65 yards and popped like right. just dead. And, uh, but anyways, I distinctly remember before shooting in my mind, I was like, okay, you're getting ready to go into the bar and pick a fight with the biggest guy. And somebody's going to get hurt right. at the end of this. Like there's no, there's no other outcome than something dies. Right. Like me or the bears, like kind of, <laughs> right. and so I never, you know, I've shot all these things and I never, Never had that thought, you know, black bears and everything like super close and like never had that thought, but this bear and I'm just, cause he's like, just like hanging out all serene, you know? And, and I'm like, I'm literally getting ready to go up and poke the bear. Yeah. I'm like literally and figuratively. And I'm like, well, this is interesting. Like I never, you know, and, uh, but it's an incredible, it's an incredible thing. And then once you get up to these animals, like so impressive. So I had it in my mind that I wanted this picture of me getting a bear hug from a bear. Right. Right. So there's this giant animal laying on the ground and I just laid down and I brought his big pop over the top of me, you know, and I right. like snuggled in like he's giving me a bear hug and like had these guys take pictures of me. Cause I was like, that's the picture I wanted. Right. You know, of like this giant, like bodybuilding type. Yeah. But fascinating. And so because it was spring, um, 
and again, I don't know, but before then I'd never heard anybody talk about eating a brown bear. And so I went to the uh, cultural center there on Kodiak and, and the biologist and I asked him and the biologist said, yeah, we recommend that you at least take some meat and try it. And, and I didn't, I felt bad because I'm like, here's this huge majestic animal, like clearly a lot of meat on it. Right. And like, just to shoot it for the vanity of shooting it, it just feels, I never, I'd never done anything like that before. Right. And I understand population control, so I don't have an issue with that, but I'm like, listen, in spring. And so I went and talked to the cultural center and they're like, um, our natives, you know, so the Alutic Mm -hmm. on Kodiak, um, they would eat the bear in the spring. They would eat spring bear. Um, why, but, but, but a lot, but it's, there was like some, um, like, a, I don't want to say a spirit animal, but you know, they're living on the Island with these bears. They wanted to make sure they get along. And so it was just this respect thing that they didn't do it. Um, well, one in, in the, the fall, fall, they taste bad cause they're eating fish and oh, yeah. they, you know, it's just the diet they have. So okay. they're not like super appealing. But then in the spring, when these bears get out of the den, they're just walking around eating grasses and stuff. I mean, maybe they find a, you know, a dead deer or something right. on the beach, but so they're like a beef cow. They're just like oh, getting their, getting their system going. Yeah. So, uh, so the guy said, he goes, if you're, if you're successful and get a bear, this guy at the, uh, Alutic, was it the Alutic cultural center? He goes, he is like third generation on that Island or fourth <clears> or whatever. He said, I would be honored if like, you were to provide me a piece. Cause he says growing up, I never had it. And he grew up in this native village on the Island. So anyways, long story short, I kill this bear and I'm getting this bear hug. And I'm like, like this bear doesn't stink. Like, you know, some animals stink. like, you know, yeah. in the rut and stuff like kind right. of stink, you know, and I've killed black bears before that had been like rolling around and, you know, carrying dead, dead like things. dead, whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, I've killed deer that smelled worse than this bear. And so, yeah, no crazy wow. dude. And I'm like, I am absolutely taking some meat. Well, because we were only about what, 250 yards, maybe off the beach, we could bring the boat into the, to the oh, beach. So yeah. I didn't have to walk, but 250 yards. So that's lucky. by law, you have to take, no matter what you want to do with it, you have to take full skull and, and the full hide. Right. And so then I got this animal laying there and I'm like, holy shit, like this meat looks and smells amazing. So I took back straps and tenderloins, which are enormous, right? And then these guys helped me. I got this crazy picture, but they helped me struggle to my feet. And then I carried it all to the beach, you know, while another guy went and got the boat, got hide, it home. Hide skull and meat? Uh, all of it. Yeah. Dude, so a bear so hide weighs home, as much as I And it was the end yeah. of That's April. Absurd. It was the last couple of days in April. And the reason I remember that is because about a week later was I was going to a Cinco de Mayo party that my buddies were from work were having, you know? And so See. I show up, you know, and the, the one guy throwing the party was a guy that had helped me on the hunt, you know, and so we're high fiving this and that. And well, I, everybody brings, you know, something to eat. So I brought this meat and I didn't tell anybody what it was. Tacos. And I grilled it. I grilled it. I'd marinated it before and I grilled it just a piece of uh, backstrap, you know, yeah. and I kind of cut it up and this and that. And then I just walked around the party and just, Hey, anybody want to meet, you know? Oh man, that was good. You know? So I go back for a second course and like, Oh man, what was that? And I said, brown bear. And there were some dudes who got seriously pissed. Like really? I thought we were going to fucking throw down. Why? And they're like, Hey man, I don't eat predator. You know, it's fucking disgusting. This and I'm like, well, you ate it. You, you liked it. <laughs> you wanted yeah. more. And like, I, I'm trying to like expose people right. like to this thing, right? Yeah. Like you should at least try it, yeah. you know? Yeah. So then I gave it to this guy at the, at the cultural center 
And like, he was so honored that I would give him, you know, this piece of brown bear. And I was so stoked that I would be the guy to provide him like the first brown bear he'd ever had in his life, you know? So now jump ahead a couple of years. My wife uh, is helping our friends out at this remote lodge and they're running bear hunts out of there, brown bear hunts out of there. And so I told Jules, I said, yeah, here's the deal. Cause it was in the spring. I said, Hey, here's the deal. Like these guys are going to kill these bears and they're not going to want the meat. They're not going to know what they got. Right. I said, so, you know, tell our friend Lee that because normally if they can, they'll get the whole bear on the boat because they're hunting from shore. I said, when when, when you get back, that's a big animal. I said, make sure you ask, but make sure that they don't want the meat. And they they literally sign a piece of paper. Right. And I said, take every backstrap and tenderloin you can, unless it just absolutely reeks. Right. And so she took, Two, so she took backstraps and tenderloins from two brown bears, from two clients had been successful. And then when the third one in camp, if I recall, when he shot his, he's like, hey, I see that you're taking the meat, you know, this and that. She goes, oh yeah, it's good. You know, you should try it. And um, so her and um, our friend's wife, they cooked some that night, like as an app, just like I had done, like as an appetizer. And they're like, oh my God, this is good. You know, this and that. Well, the other two guys wanted their meat back. Well, they clearly didn't know my wife. She goes, fuck (laughs) you. You signed it over to me. You should have known before that, you know? And uh, I I can see Jules getting a little. But I was like, you know, starting a trend. I was like, yeah, at least try it. You know, Um, like Cole's told me some, some cool, like, you know, boiled bear skull recipes. And like, there's ways to cook that stuff. It's like, (laughs) for anything, but the meat off the thing, like, he's like, no, it's like, I don't see the problem here. Yeah. I, I So like, the one thing I say about bears is it's really specific. Cause like I said, some like some tank. may just reek and taste like shit and others, right. you know, are okay. But I think it's all their diet. Yeah, but. I mean, like Dud talks about the honey did with Dusty where they, uh, that grizz that they shot in Canada and he'd been like rolling around on a whale carcass. Yeah. Right? It's like, yeah, I would not eat no. that. Like yeah. that's not, no, no and I don't not, think anybody food. would, you know, no, they, I don't think they had a hard would. enough time skinning it. Right. Yeah. It's like, that was miserable. Yeah. yeah. So here's a question, John, because you're a, a winter warfare survival instructor. Was that right? Yeah, it's a, yeah. Yeah. Yes, I was. So how many years did you do that? So I did that for 13 years up right. in Alaska. And then I'd done it a few years at the team, kind of kind of part-time, like helping out. Do you ever watch, um, <laughs> oh do you ever watch like these stupid survival shows like Naked and Afraid or any of those. I got to, man. I got to because... Are you ready to so be Naked this is, and Afraid? This is one of the only things that I can watch with my kids because yeah. they blur out the... Yeah. You know, it's family friendly. It's it's shows, you know, people it's, it's in these survival scenarios. It's, it's mostly entertainment, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we had... What's her name? Zara? Laura Zara. Yeah, Zara. we had yeah. Laura on one of the shows. What? So what's your take on these things? Because... To me, I've watched a few of them now because I can watch them with the girls and it's like, it's it's just good family fun. Like some of these people are suffering, man. Like I know and everybody here knows how painful sleep deprivation is. Mm-hmm. Like it is like I will go without food any day of the week, any fucking day of the week, but take away my sleep and it just, it's fucking painful. And my so my take on that is, I see some of those people and what they're talking about is sleep, sleep, sleep in these survival situations. So that tells me, I think it's fucking real. Do you think it's real or do you think it's staged? 
Do you oh, watch? You mean, you mean do the, you watch the, any of the, these? The show? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, full disclosure, I don't think I've ever watched a full episode. Got it. You know, right. but but I'll but it it's so it's real to a point. Right. And, and here's I'll I'll put the you know kind of the disclaimer on. So if you and I are out there naked and afraid, right? With no camera people, no producer, right. no any medical staff, nothing like that. Like you're really <laughs> on you're a literally, naked and afraid. literally and figuratively hanging it out there. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, I think, so I've been a part of, um, you know, some different events that, that have been filmed for TV, you know, and, right. and they do a good job, but listen, the reality is you're an idiot if you go do this on your own. Right. Right. Like there's a reason that we've been wearing loincloths for a very long time. (laughs) Like, so I like to say clothing is your first line of defense from the elements, right? It's your armor from the elements. Like, um, yeah, I think they have to do it to a certain extent. Right. Right. And I can't speak for all the shows, but, but you also have to understand there is somebody there filming and that guy is, or gal is probably not going to let the other person like completely die. Sure. But they're probably going to, they're probably some fucking form of masochist to sit there and watch him like, or sadist go through this shit. Right. Yeah. Um, but, 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 but my point is it's gotta be somewhat controlled because it is a TV show. Right. And so what people shouldn't do is go, well, me and my buddy are going to go do this for a week out in the middle yeah. of the Frank church wilderness and see how it works out for us. Cause it yeah. might not like, there's no safety net, you know, this whole risk mitigation thing. Like right. we try to put all this shit into place to like, okay, it's going to be dangerous, but we're going to do all these things to kind of mitigate that. Right. Like that's what they do for those shows. Right. Yeah. So, but, but, no, dude, you can't fake sleep deprivation. You can't. And I would go rather go a week without eating than a week without sleeping. Any, yes. Any day. Any day. Any day. Like any day, like, because it's so painful to be like three or four days without sleep or like and an it's hour. terrible it's for nasty. you. It's so bad. And so I've been watching these things and I'm like, oh man, I, I am so thankful for the level of sleep that I actually get, which is not a lot. No, but I, I was going to say, we've talked lot. about this. Yeah, we, yeah. We've, we've talked a lot about this. I'm going to pour some water. So the questions that I have, or <laughs> there are like more statements, freaking out. questions is, I've been thinking about doing this thing. Do um, you know the Boulder Survival School? No. You've never heard of it? No. So in Boulder, Colorado? Or? No, it's here in in, uh, in Utah. Have you ever oh, heard of it? Down, no. down south. Yeah, down south. So you can do, I think you can do, like five, like you can do a week, you can do two weeks. I think they have like three week oh, wow. evolutions. Are we like surprised like going up tonight? Primitive, <laughs> primitive skills. Yeah. Like bow drill, mm-hmm. whole nine. Because in our survival schools, we never learned how to do the bow drill. Like that's, we never went through that. Did you guys? Yeah, actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it went, no, we did. Yeah. No, we did, we we did it there. It. And yeah. then we did that three day evolution. You yeah. did a bow drill in Alaska? Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, and was ours was in February, fucked. so it was um, impossible. Mm-hmm. February was, in Alaska, how like was it impossible? Truly, yeah. Even the air's wet. Yeah, I don't want to tell you it's a parlor trick because it's not right. Like it's a real thing, friction. Yeah, obviously, it's, it's and, you, and you create fire. But depending on the environment you're in, it so i.e. the woods that yeah. you have at your disposal, and then you know how wet or dry, mm-hmm. and then even the environment around you, like the atmosphere, like it all plays into it. So my my statement would be just because you could make say a bow drill fire in Arizona doesn't mean that you're can take that skill and transfer it to say, you know, the Alaska peninsula on your brown bear hunt. Like, right. 
it, it, it may not like th- there comes a point of diminishing returns where you just mm-hmm. can't do it because either the materials or the environment are just not suitable. Right. And then looping back to Laura, Zara. Yeah. She was at winter strong and she mentioned something that like I've been asked, do you carry fire starting stuff? I'm like, yeah, I carry two Bic lighters. Yeah. Cause they never fail. And she's like, yeah, I also carry a couple Bic lighters cause they never fail. Like, right. Friction is great. It's yeah. ridiculous. No, no, I think it's that ridiculous. it's, I think that it's interesting. It's really I've cool to learn it. as a skill. Yeah. Yeah. Really I, cool. Tr- I have legitimately tried Frickin it. Freaking cool. But when I went through the special forces, you know, seer school, for instance, they didn't teach us how to do that. And the other one so was you're just saying like ours is harder? counter terror. This was just counter interrogation. That's what I heard. Ours is just, the other one was just like counter interrogation. Like, yeah, 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 they taught you a bunch of other bullshit, but you know, how to catch fish with safety pins. I I remember that one. I I mean, I got, I mean, I've got my, you know, my opinions on survival. Like I did, you know, I talked about this the other week about survival and there's a big difference between kind of planning for realistic scenarios to happen when you're out in the mountains uh, or a long-term primitive living solution. So like, you know, we may have all grown up like, you know, dreaming anyways of, you know, Robinson Crusoe and being stranded on a desert island. And like, I'm out there for- My side of the mountain. You remember that one? Yeah, exactly. Right. So, you know, for a long period of time where you're, you know, you're building a cabin and you're, you're building a wicker basket and catching fish and, you know, smoking meat and all this. So that's like primitive living. Yeah. Kind of like maybe to some of your shows you mentioned, right? But, but for the most part, we're looking to, you know, survive a night out or, you know, not uh, die. St- sta- yeah. Stabilize a buddy who's hurt and then, you know, call for an extract, you know, yeah. from some SAR <clears throat> aircraft or something like this. That's more realistic, probably going to happen. Yeah. And at that point, it's like, yeah, you should have a lighter. You should have multiple lighters. You should have Emergency multi- blankets. multiple ways, you know, to create fire with, you know, different mm-hmm. tinders. So be it gunpowder from a, from a bullet or some prefab tinder or, you know, duct tape or whatever it is, like the ability to, you know, get in a survival blanket, you know, like some mm-hmm. basic things. And I think people to include myself, like we jump, we jump ahead and I'll circle back here. Well, we jump ahead to this more romanticized version of it where the reality is it's normally a short-term thing. We need to, you know, prevent ourselves from becoming hurt from the environment, mm-hmm. you know, from the snow, <laughs> from the rain or stabilize somebody who's, you know, blood pressure dropping because they broke their leg and, you know, maybe going into shock, like some basic stuff to prevent a, an, an incident from becoming a tragedy, right? Yeah. What I think is cool is the schools you're talking about. So one, they're fun, like kind of class two fun, right? Type yeah. two fun. Yeah. But the confidence that it gives you when you're out there and you can survive for a week or two weeks and you know how to do a bow drill and you know how to build that wicker basket and you know how to, you know, put a shelter over your head that doesn't leak, that confidence in is, you know, what you can carry forward into the, say the elk mountains or, you know, going on your fishing trip or floating down your river in the middle of Idaho where you're like, man, if I put a hole in the raft and I got to, I got to eddy out here and, you know, spend three days before somebody flies over and finds us, like, we're not going to die. Matter Mm -hmm. of fact, this might not even suck. This may be a, just a great story I get to tell my buddies when we're drinking, you know, next right. month. It's like staying super and That's, that's, that's it why it's cool into. to build those skills. It's right? like training yeah. hard too. Like if you have that in your back pocket and you know, all right, I'm fit enough not to be yeah. hurt by this physical encounter, then you can stretch yourself out a little bit further and feel comfortable there. Right. Well, and you're not willing to pop smoke so quick, right? If it, you know, oh, yeah. 
if that incident happens, you're like, I can handle this. Like we have, we have the, not only the tools, but the knowledge and we can right. make this work, you know, but well, those schools it, would be fun. I've been to it's, ones in the past, but. It'd be interesting. Cause it, you know, we, we do, a, we do, we do, we do a ton of stuff with Mike up at uh Fieldcraft. It'd <laughs> yeah. be interesting. Cause I've seen a lot of these guys now, like Aaron's doing that uh, map. Was it Mapping Man, Compass, Mapping Compass, Compass, like Compass, orienteering like, stuff. Yeah, orienteering for hunting. Yeah. And we kind of take things like that for, for granted. Yeah, we, like, we, I, we, we do. We absolutely take it for granted. Yeah, because it's like, oh. Of course I know I how to read a map. Of course I know how to read a map. Of course I know how to program my GPS and do all this stuff with it. It's like, oh, we, we take all of that. Yeah. It's just, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I've, yeah, I've got a sat phone. I mean, I've got a GPS. I've got, oh, you know Why? Because I also know that I might fucking need it because I'm going to yep. find myself into a situation. There's zero doubt in my adult life, there will be circumstances, plural, where I will need a sat phone. Even if it's just or, to call my family and be like, hey, what's up? What's going on? Yeah. How are you guys doing? Well, right? Or should you interject headlamps. yourself into those, headlamps. into those environments repeatedly, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You're just doing a day hunt. Well, that's why I have two headlamps. Yeah. Well, I mean- Because sure I, shit, I'm going to be out there and it's going to get dark. I hear this- like, <laughs> Well, I don't hear it a lot because I'm not necessarily in the survival um, arena, but I I keep my finger on the pulse of it because I really like it. It's it's a it's, it's a cool. it's a fun hobby. Yeah. Whereas a lot of people like to watch football, they like to watch baseball, they like to follow basketball, whatever it is. I think it's cool for people when they're discussing, you know, their their loadout for their overnight kit or, you know, okay, I'm going on my three to five day hike. I want to know what type of frame I'm going to use. And I'm more mm-hmm. on my hunt where it's like, I'm going to be out there for five days. I'm going to be covering about 30 miles. I'm going to be doing, you know, a clover leaf, but I need X, Y, and Z. And when you start going down the rabbit hole and both like gear and skill. So when you start incorporating your overland skills with your communication skills and you're going out and you're doing some hunting or it's fishing or whatever it is. It's fucking awesome, it's man. It's really cool. Yeah, it's super, but it's super fun. And I think for guys, they think, well, you're, you've obviously lumped yourself into prepper world. I'm like, no, <laughs> like that's not, that's not necessarily what I'm doing either. I'm, I'm just having fun my own way. I'm just doing my own thing. Would you, and that's my question to you is even though you're a survival instructor, would you classify yourself as a, a prepper? No, matter of fact, you know, I, I understand it and, right. and I certainly am prepared for a lot of things, but mm-hmm. I, I do not consider myself a prepper. Um, n- not, e- not even close. I, I consider myself practical mm-hmm. and I consider myself somebody who plans for contingencies. Right. And I, I'm, this isn't just semantics. Like this isn't just sure. words, but like, I, I don't, necessarily see myself as, 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 as a prepper. Now, I don't want to throw those people under the bus by by saying, I think it's better to be trained and prepared than to be a prepper and have all the things. Listen, there's a, they're LARPers. They're live action role players that buy a lot of stuff. Maybe that's where the negative connotation comes in. I mean, the reality is most of us could probably associate us surviving some close call and being alive today because of planning and contingencies that we put in place in our past. Right. And so does it become a way of life? Absolutely. Is it paranoia? Absolutely not. Right. I've had to employ some of this stuff and, and maybe you have too. And, And so that's where my perspective comes in of, Hey, you know what? The reality, like 
I used to, I say, what if weighs a lot? Okay. You can go down this rabbit hole of like, oh my God, what if there's no more, you know, gasoline for the rest of our lives? Well, we're all fucked and we're going back to the, to the horse-drawn carriage. Okay. We're, don't go down that road. You can, you can contingency yourself into the asteroids going to hit earth. In, in, in absolute paranoia. Right? Yeah. So just sure. plan for realistic <clears throat> things. So if I'm going in the mountains with me and my buddy or by myself, I'm going to plan for realistic scenarios. Now, yeah. the difference is your experience Right. And your skill level and, and, and all that is going to factor into what, what I consider a suitable, we'll call a survival kit and what somebody who's maybe just starting out considers a suitable survival kit, right. or you go into environment. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not a great, like, I don't particularly like the jungle. I've spent a lot of time there. I've been to some jungle survival you schools. And I, I hate it. I so hate it too. I'm going to probably plan a little bit different for that. Not fun. Than in the mountains In the mountains in winter, bizarrely enough, I feel very comfortable and, and I can, cause I've been there. Right. And I, I've kind of lived through it. And so I know what I need. And so everybody's got to figure it out for themselves. And so you, you're going to start with a lot and then slowly you pare it down. But, but the, to kind of get back to your point, it's one, it's fun. And, and literally, <clears throat> listen, I have not fallen too far from the tree. Like I'm doing the same shit that I did as a little kid. They just pay me to do it now, right? <laughs> like I've, I've turned it into a profession. I've been one of those lucky people like the rest of us. Um, but, you know, we, we all have to kind of figure it out for ourselves, but it, it, it is fun. And then if it does ever happen and, and, you know, if we keep going in the wilderness and you keep overlanding, you're going to get a flat tire, right? Sure. You keep going out there, your, your boat's going to get a hole in it on the side of the river. Like these things are going to happen. And so when you're prepared and confident, and I think we're we have forgotten where we started from. So if somebody's, if there's 10 steps to get to mastery and let's just say we're at step eight, right? Right. When we go to teach somebody something, because we, we just assume that everybody understands all the things we grew up with in our adult lives, we're going to start at step three or four. And, and honestly, the first three steps are maybe the most important to people because it's yeah. foundational. Mm-hmm. When you grab the map and you're like, no, North is this way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm going to get on it. Can, can I get on a soapbox here? Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, I like soapboxes. Yeah, me too. Now you so, stare at the camera. But, but one of the, <laughs> one of the things that, that can become irritating to people that, that know. So as an example, like shooting, I'm sure you see all kinds of gun handling on IG and stuff. And you're like, I don't watch this it. guy. I can't watch it. Yeah. Ex- so that's my point, right? That's my point because you understand. <laughs> it's an eyesore. Because you understand that, that there's a lot of yeah. poor information out there, right? <laughs> yeah. And so what I see is somebody, let's just say somebody masters a bow drill and yeah. they master it in Arizona, right? Mm-hmm. And they master it in Arizona in the summertime. And then all of a sudden they, they go on social media and they Hyper start specific. espousing how to do bow drills. And people that don't know any better, all of a sudden- think that I can go up to Alaska, I can go to Canada, I can go to Minnesota in the winter and I can do this thing, right? Where, where true mastery comes in is when you sit there and say, hey, I'm going to teach you three ways. There's actually 12. Here's the three best that my experience has shown. These are the three that are probably the most universal, the places you should start, right? So build a good foundation. And then over time, you can start to branch out and start doing other things. But, but a lot of people are like, I learned this one thing and it's super cool. So I'm going to teach you how to do it. So as an example, Dudley with archery, mm-hmm. okay. He's been there and done that. He's seen every mistake and how to correct it under the sun. Right. So he can look at me, you and Trevor and dissect us all slightly different ways and give us three different ways of doing the same thing right. to meet either where we are developmentally 
or how we're going to process that information. That's a true coach, right? That's a true master. That's a true instructor. And so, so many people don't do that anymore that, you know, everybody's seeking knowledge probably more so now than ever. Mm. So hunting sales are through the roof, gun sales are through the roof. Like everybody's freaked out because of the virus and trying to take care of themselves. They don't know where to start. They don't know where to go for that information. And there's, it's such a noisy Super noisy. It's such a noisy, yeah. you know, kind of market out there that people don't know where to go to get that information. Well, what did you say earlier? There's a huge amount of information, right, out there. A yeah. ton of knowledge, but everybody wants a shortcut to the expertise and the wisdom and they don't want to take the time to get there. Yep. And it does, and it's, so I want to give, I want to give credit to who said that. So yeah. Snyder said that. And, and I give him credit every time sure. I say it because it's great. And basically he said, listen, nowadays, knowledge is easy to acquire. Wisdom is just as difficult. Mm, so you, so we were talking yeah. jumping as an example. Like you can't right. get 8,000 jumps if you don't do 8,000 jumps. Now you may be able to start at, at step three because of information and people mm-hmm. can help you, but you still don't get 20 years mm-hmm. of experience without getting 20 years of experience, you yeah. know? And people want to, I, I hate this fucking word, but people want to, you know, do a high, I have all these life hacks and like, I can help you lessen the steepness of the learning curve. Sure, but at yeah. the end of the day, you still have to climb the hill. It's time you still have to put, you yeah. And you can't get around that, right? And so I, I love that there's information out there, but it's hard to vet that information anymore, right? And so you've seen it in the firearms industry. I've seen it, you know, with survival and clothing and things like that because we know better. Yeah. And, um, and, well, and, I think and so it's more difficult than ever. As much as there's a lot of information, it's more difficult than ever to find out what what information do I need and where do I start? Well, it's it's the um, it's the diet pill society, right? It's I want to take a pill that solves my overeating issue, and it's like, well, if you solve your overeating issue, then you won't have to take the pill. But it's much more difficult to say no to your your food habits in yourself. It's much more difficult to tell yourself no than it is to just fix it with a solution of you know, a pill. And I think that's the same thing with, with, you know, skills. Like I've spent my entire life acquiring specific skills. And I was explaining this to somebody the other day where I like things that take me years. You can't just like jump into them and become proficient within Go to a, course. a month. Yeah. That honestly does not really hold a lot of interest to me. It really mm-hmm. doesn't. You know, I spent my entire adult life trying to be what I what I would feel as a as an artisan of war, right? So a warrior is somebody that can, you know, lead and direct and win in a fight, right? Like, and that's on a on a repeating cycle, and yeah. then teach others to do the same. Yeah. What happens is that people don't quite understand that last piece either, where it's like, yes, you can be individually effective as a soldier, right? But to become a true artisan, you have to be able to participate in the exchange of information. You have to be able to teach or show yep, somebody yep. what you're doing. And that's where wisdom comes in. Because if you can't communicate it to someone else, it dies, right? And that skill, when it, when it dies, it dies with you, essentially. Yeah, yeah. But it took me years to the point of, you know... Uh, you know, starting on that that entire process of like an infantryman and then 
looking at it from a special forces soldier and then going on and becoming like all of these different things and going different selections and courses and then teaching and then saying, okay, I have to do something else. (laughs) (laughs) You know, once you get to that point and honestly, like I got to that point where I was like, I can't, I can't do this for the rest of my life. Like I really can't. And I think it was like, you know, looking at 40 and maybe it's like having a midlife crisis or something, but it was like, ah, being a professional in the warrior class of America, I don't think that one, I don't think that's conducive to a successful family life. Like yeah, 90, there's 90% no, there's of no the doubt. time. Yeah. Right. Um, and you know, so you have to kind of shift and then those other skills, like I was picking up skills in the background of that because you need these sub skills <laughs> build your macro skills. Yep. They're like, ah, you got to be a proficient shooter and you got to be a, you know, a proficient tactician and you've got to get all this time and repetition. Got to be a communicator. Got to be able to do this. Excellence is like, <clears throat> it never ends. And then I was like, I had like hobbies over here. It was like, ah, oh, like running rivers and like roasting coffee. That's pretty cool too. <laughs> and then you have like these hobbies and then I'm like, now I'm like, okay, well now I'm, I can run a river. You know what I mean? So that's kind of where my, my, my bifurcation of life was like, I was like, all right, well, I got to do something else. Cause I don't really want to be a gunfighter. So I've got to go, Oh, I can take this other thing that I really love. And I can like try to go down the mastery level of this thing. I had no, um, I guess idea that I was going to even manage 500 people. <laughs> so I'll roast some coffee and oh, put it out there. You know, tell some dick jokes on the internet. I'll figure that out when I get there. Um, Cross that bridge when I come know, to I it. I think when you start to teach is when you kind of begin to go down this this road of, of of real mastery and figuring it out because you have to have all those personal skills and then you bring it, you know, you slowly build up and, okay, I want to be good at what I do. Now I want to be good in the group. Now I want to lead the group. Right. And then when you start teaching diverse groups is where you really, I think, it, it, like that's the finishing school for the person to okay. kind of get to that point of mastery. Like if you can do that and effectively communicate to a broad group of different people with different kind of, uh, you know, experiences or learning uh, traits, then I think you really do become that. Yeah. Um, I, I but remember, at a certain point, you just, you're like, okay, what, what else is there for me here? Well, you I know? remember that point in Afghanistan, Iraq was different, but in Afghanistan, my first group of recruits when I was sifting through who was trying out for the unit and who wasn't, it was, you know, physical, obviously, but then, you know, who can read? So then it was like, well, <laughs> yeah, that's who can, who doesn't need glasses or who do I need glasses in order to correct their vision? And then who can read, like who can read? And then, oh, well, I have to teach these guys how to read some yeah. basic English. So that's like literally day one, step one is, Guys, we got to learn some basic English just across the board because we got a lot of maps and a lot of shit we got to look at. It's going to be it's in all going to be in the same language, right? So it's like step one: you can't just go straight to the to the to the fun soldier and stuff, right? You got to be like, all right, we're going to learn to read a little bit of English, and then we're gonna we're gonna be like, got to learn some numbers, got to learn some letters. But that's kind of like you got to start there. But that's really difficult when you're starting there when you know like. I've got to get from here all the way over to, I'm going to do a, 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 a multi-mode infill, simultaneous multi-breach point entry. At <laughs> that's night. also at night coordinated with air <laughs> on a 
complex target where people are going to be shooting back at us. And people and oh, by the way, I'm going to try really hard not to get anybody shot. I'm going to try really hard not to get anybody shot. Like, I'm going to really try hard not to get anybody shot. Yeah. <laughs> well, Let's start to read first, fellas. <laughs> you know, when I decided hey. to you know, retire from the military. Like I just got to the point where one, you know, physically I, it was just, you know, I'd lost a step. It's hard to keep up with the young guys. And I just felt like, you know, you always say like, you, you want to train the people to replace you. Like I felt like I'd done that. And then I literally felt like I wasn't like, I, I don't want to say I was dying inside, but like I knew my job so well that it wasn't, it wasn't a challenge anymore. Yeah. And so I needed that. Right. And so then I stepped into, fuck, I didn't know it, but I stepped into the world of business and, uh, Oops. you know, so that was like going back into the deep end, treading water with bricks in your hands. And, um, but, but that's where, you know, that's where it's fun. And I think you have to continue to challenge yourself. Right. Uh, I don't know how we got down this road, but, but the people that are looking to get knowledge and like acquire some of these skills, it's, it's more difficult than ever, even though there's more information. Than you're ever, right. You know, you're, you're absolutely right. I, that's why I think it's one of the things that we've, you know, try to turn people onto is guys like you, cause you put out a great like a litany mm -hmm. of different videos on gear or, or Mike you know, or you Mike, know. Yeah. Aaron. Aaron, like these guys are subject matter experts. They're mm -hmm. real subject matter experts. But people need to be careful because I think and I get asked it all the time about a range of subjects. It's everybody seems to want to program to get them to a success point. Right. Not understanding that it's just a process that never ends. There is no finish line to any of this. No, right? You can never, it never ends. No, it doesn't. And if you think if you think it does, then you're you're looking really myopically at a at a finish line that doesn't exist. Well, it ends. It ends, but it we ends all end at the same place. It, it, when you it, stop breathing, with, is when yeah, it's exactly. done. When the when the spark of life yeah. it, like ends, like it ends. With but everybody us. wants yeah. this program that's designed for their ease of use and a quick way to get to whatever end goal it is. Like, all right, so you probably get asked, like, what's the correct gear I need for an elk hunt in Montana that's occurring between the 21st and the 28th of September? Um, ready, go. Like, ready? well, I don't know. Yeah. How fucking tall are you? Yeah. What's, your, much, what's your fitness level? You are, you hunting, yeah. are you hunting alone? Are you hunting off an ETV? Like, what are you doing? Like, right. people don't come at these things from step one. They come at it from... That dude on the internet did this thing and he looked successful and I want to do that. So if you don't parrot that back to me in information that fits my end goal in my head, then I'm just going to go to the next guy and ask until I get the information yeah. I want. Right? Maybe I'm an asshole because... No, you're not. You're, if somebody asks me a question, almost inevitably, I ask him six back. Because I, I, I can't... There's no like... Yeah. I don't want to give a cookie cutter answer. It's like, Oh, I want this thing. And I asked six or seven questions back for, mm. for context. And then I can maybe answer a little better. Right. And so it's like, again, so you many people want to, that easy button. But specifically say with fitness, Michael Blevins put something out. He goes, look, so many people out there are these fitness coaches, right? Yeah. These, you know, coaches. And if you ask a coach for help, and they don't immediately respond with 10 or 15 questions. Exactly. Fucking run. No, that was a great, I think he posted run. that, right? That was a great post. Run yeah. away. Because right. that person doesn't give a shit about you. Yeah, They're trying exactly. to sell a product. Mm -hmm. yep. And that product is probably them. Which is a good segue <laughs> into a new coffee we like to call <laughs> teamwork. <laughs> uh, it's a uh, great white shark being ridden by a Sasquatch operator with UDTs. If you notice, I've got UDTs here, gentlemen. Yeah, no, they, that's uh, why. It's for us. Right? It's for us Navy folk. Yeah, it's for you Navy folk. Little uh, 
some NVGs and laser beams and laser beams coming out of its eyes. This is a teamwork. It'll be available for as a limited time offer. Everyone, uh, it's a fantastic coffee. I actually, it's one of my favorite coffees. It's one of my favorite designs. I, uh, I, it took teamwork. It did. It took teamwork to do this. And to be fair, it, it was a collective of people. So it was me, myself, and I. Um, <laughs> I feel like I came up with the UDT shorts. <laughs> Thank you for bringing, Thank you for bringing those back to a new generation. I yeah. came up with concept, which is like, I want to Sasquatch riding a great white shark. Matt Bez came up with the name, teamwork. Trevor put the UDTs on him. And then, he was you naked. know, bing, bang, boom. There you go. That's teamwork. It's a limited time offer. It's not in the exclusive coffee subscription, but it is in the limited time offer. Uh, go out and follow John Barklow because he has one of the most interesting Instagram pages ever. Right, John? Do you still only have one post on there? No, I've no. got like 50. Oh, you got 50 yeah. on there? You yeah. capitulated to yourself? Well, yeah. And they're all in the barn. They're all in the barn. I know. You're doing yeah, reviews. Oh, I, so, yeah, I used to have... Uh, I used to have a cat picture. <clears throat> I know. So I, I told somebody this the other day, like I had this cat picture. Then you took picture. a lot of shit. Well, because everybody's giving me a hard time and I'm like, all right, I'll post. So I posted a cat picture because why wouldn't I? Like a me and Well, you a have cat. a giant mancoon, right? I do, yeah. I do. And then eventually Dudley's ribbing me and he's like, dude, you need to post another picture. Well, in the process of me trying to post the second picture, I deleted the first. It was hilarious. So then there was only one picture. Well, more people commented on me deleting the first. <laughs> so then I said, well, okay, I'm only going to ever have one picture on Instagram. <laughs> so I did that for a few times and then, yeah. No, it was pretty funny. Yeah. It was kind of my thing. Like you have to have a thing, right? You so got it. You, you got to be different. A, you got to have a thing. Um, yeah. Well, John, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Obviously, this is Free Range American. Uh, go out, check him out. Check out his gear reviews. He's always cruising around with John or John. You're always cruising around with... Uh, Schneider and Trevor and all these other weirdos. Uh, hopefully we'll do some hunting this fall. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, right, good. Man. See you, buddy. Thank you.